Welcome again to another edition of the Digital Guardian podcast. This is episode 23. For those of you keeping track, Will, we're really closing in on that quarter century mark. (laughs) (laughs) This week, our guest is Venter Ullman, a seasoned veteran of the InfoSec space. He's got nearly 30 years of experience under his belt in the realm, currently CTO of security of Microsoft Cloud and AI division, but has a storied history, uh, including stints at IOActive, Nimbala, uh, NCC Group, IBM. I'm not naming multiple uh, roles here just because the resume is that long. Gunther, I know I glossed over a lot there. Maybe you could uh, kick us off by giving an abbreviated history for listeners who may not know who you are. Just how you kind of, how get your space, your start in the space. <laughs> sure, you make me sound like a I'm ancient or something, but uh, um, oh, I mean history, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. No, I I like to move from challenge to challenge, right? So uh, organizations tend to bring me in to you know solve difficult problems, and uh, once they're moved on, solved, and it's time to move on to the next type of thing, right? Yeah, so I, I've, I've been involved in information security for some would say way too long. I think my most fun sort of roles have really been I. Uh, I did uh, two stints with uh, Internet Security Systems. In fact, you know, Will and I worked together uh, during one of those stints for uh, ISS before uh, IBM came and acquired it. So originally I helped build up Internet Security Systems uh, professional services across Europe, Middle East, and Africa, you know, and uh, focused on, if you like, the, the first generation of uh, penetration testing and red team services way back in the, the late 90s. And the second stint I did, I you know, what actually brought me to the U.S. eventually, took over all of uh, X-Force and the R&D for Internet Security Systems. So I sort of sort of say that you know, out of the, the three decades of Internet Security, I've done two decades being the bad guy or at least being able to replicate the worst of the bad guys. And now you know, a decade playing penance, developing the technologies and tools to detect and stop people like me. So uh, it's been a, a pretty wild journey. Awesome. It, I guess it sort of makes sense that you have moved on and now you're dealing with what seems like the sort of premier, uh, you know, future topics of uh, cloud and AI. It's just seemingly everything, everything everyone's talking about these days and obviously the future. And I guess I was wondering if you could explain what your role is there and, and uh, what happens day to day for you. <laughs> sure. Well, I'm lucky that you know, no day appears the same. I, I sort of wear a couple of different hats with inside uh, Microsoft. So if you like, one hat uh, is the more traditional CTO, but CTO for security. So a, a lot of the external facing, I meet with customers, partners, and discuss our security strategy, look at the trends, and sort of uh, work with uh, work for organizations to get them onto the, the Azure cloud and you know, make customers uh, overall more secure. You know, and you know, figure out those stories that need to be told to help uh, educate uh, the market about security. The other hats that I wear are you know, more internally focused, so I'm, uh, I wear a uh, technical chief of staff hat internal to the division. You know, the, the division is uh, quite a mixed bag, as you sort of find for, for many organizations, large, large organizations. You know, security fits in a bit of a no man's land, you know, and so you sort of pick up all the pieces that don't logically fit in other areas. And so the cloud and AI security division has uh, four pillars. So one pillar, you know, most people are probably most familiar with the Microsoft side. It includes things like uh, MSRC, uh, SOC, incident response, you know, all, if you like, all of the reactive parts of uh, Microsoft security. 
Another pillar is uh, Azure Core Security Engineering. So what all the security pieces that help make uh, Azure the most secure public cloud there is. The third pillar are the core engines uh, for security that are used for enterprise security, particularly in the cloud. So things like detonation chambers, you know, being able to take a file, piece of malware and detonate it, uh, figure out what it's doing, look at those behaviors. And those engines uh, you know, sit behind the scenes and power things like Bing, Office 365, Windows Defender and all those. And the, the last one is probably one of the more interesting and one of the, the newest areas for Microsoft, and that is Azure Enterprise Security. So these are products that are specially made just for Azure to for customers to use to make themselves more secure. It's sort of a, sort of growing uh, very fast. In fact, much of that uh, division or that particular pillar has, has come through acquisitions. So a, a pretty broad remit. You know, looking at uh, lots of different technologies, working with the capital investment teams to find you know, interesting technology, interesting companies, bring them on board and you know, solve those big, big security problems at a, you know, I guess, a hyper-elastic scale. That's pretty amazing, Gunter. You know, I mean, considering, yeah, I, I think I first met you back in 2004. So uh, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> so with your travels and now certainly at a, in arriving at the position that you're in at Microsoft, given the spans and the scope um, that, that you have responsibility for with respect to their business, what do you think not only uh, does Microsoft face in terms of the event horizon from a security threat perspective, but what do you think that the industry as a whole and participants within the industry uh, as a whole are, are going to be facing as we start to see broader and broader adoption of cloud-oriented technologies, newer ways uh to inevitably adopt and deploy and consume technologies via via SaaS-driven solutions and other deployment models, which are almost ephemeral. What do you think people need to be cognizant of? Um, where do you think if you if you were sitting on the opposite side of the table as a CTO or a CISO, where would you double down in the 2018, 2019 scope of uh, of enterprise grade security? Enterprise grade security. I think one of the most interesting things, really, when I look at security and security changes and you know the trends going forward, really is, I may be a little bit biased here, but I'll say the cloud is the place to be. What I mean by that is the security technologies, you know, even the most advanced things that you know were purchased by Fortune 100 companies and you know, deployed to protect their most valuable assets, their most valuable resources, you know, and their most valuable you know, executives – uh, even five years ago, would have cost you you know, a mint, uh, and you would have had large security teams having to manage those. Today, they are all just part of the security fabric. They're by default for every single customer you know, in every single organization that has workloads in the cloud. So the commoditization you know, of uh, security uh, in the cloud has just been breathtaking. You know, the fact that you can have all of those cutting-edge technologies already just running there behind the scenes, you know, without having to have the, the huge investment, the huge resources to, to manage these things. Uh, that opens up you know, new problems and new opportunities. And one of the, the key areas that you know, when, I, when I look at uh, cloud security, and certainly part of my role in many ways, is how do I keep on improving the security and add those security technologies, but in a way that is you know, transparent to the end use and to the organization that's you know, deployed those workloads? Uh, and you know, to my mind, there are there are two things that are you know, changing the game for this, and that is artificial intelligence and the silent automation. I think those are the two pieces that are finally, you know, finally coming together <laughs> to to secure organizations. 
we've still got a long way to go, right? You know, a lot of organizations are still predominantly on-premise uh, or in the you know, hybrid cloud in their transition. But organizations that actually have moved to, to the cloud uh, are genuinely benefiting the, those security features and are doing phenomenally better. When I look at the, the threat space, you know, the, the two biggest threats that uh, I, I see from customers, one is still their inability to manage passwords. You know, even though you have all the security features such as multi-factor authentication and all of the behavioral analytics that sit behind the scenes for monitoring authentication and uh, everything like that, some customers still like to turn it off and go back to the old password and you know, they stumble over those, those problems. And the second area is you know, related to the first ones that get compromised. Uh, we do seem to do an awful lot of flushing out of uh, Bitcoin mining <laughs> as the bad guys sort of uh, get in and play around. And one of the first things they do is install software if you're still running an, an IaaS service uh, and starts you know, turning that compromise into money for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that uh, yeah, now, and I know that I'm talking with other, other researchers, you know, really around the world, the common, the, the, how the propensity, I guess, for that mining, uh, turning an exploited system really into just a, a mining rig, it's kind of starting to flabbergast people. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, there's traditional criminality and then making an absconding money. And then there's like, well, you know, if we can't actually get anything from the system, can we put something on here and leverage the computational power of it to make us money? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing about why cloud security in particular is so, so interesting and, and it changes an awful lot. And that is, you know, unlike on-premise security, once you're in the cloud, you know precisely where all of your assets are, precisely where all your services are and what's happening at any point in time. You know, if you've ever been a CISO anywhere or had to administer a network or, you know, a large environment, those are like your holy grail, you know, knowing what's actually inside your network and, you know, what they'll be used for. And so what we're seeing and, you know, certainly, you know, the interesting areas as we, you know, roll out more of the artificial intelligence to help secure customers really is, you know, with that level of observation, you know, of what's happening inside those environments, being able to automatically detect and alert to the customer saying that you, know, you have these servers that look like they might be compromised and you know, based on the, the CPU usage, which is an anomaly from how you normally operate, and some of the, the memory forensics that were run in the background because you're using the, the right uh, monitoring agent, being able to say that we're pretty sure that Bitcoin mining on here and is, you know, would you like to remove this automatically? And to be able to identify this type of threat or any class threat like that yeah, and preemptively do it for the customer themselves. And more importantly, I think as the, you know, this maturity that's going on, we sort of move away from this alert culture, you know, just providing an alert or a hundred alerts saying that these machines are compromised uh, and this is what we think it is through to either, you know, here is a button you can click on to automatically remediate and mitigate that threat from evermore. Or if you have the right policy, you know, and ideally there is a you know a policy enforcement the policy is there saying that if this threat ever occurs, here's the automated response that you just want to do, and you know effectively, you know you receive when next time you log into your management console saying you know these twenty things happened uh, and have automatically been mitigated, and your business is still running smoothly. And uh, I think that's one of the the most interesting areas now for for security where we move away from from alerts move away from you know, products that you know, uh, differentiate themselves by generating more alerts than anything than any other product before it 
into things that you know can be policy driven, automated, you know, and effectively just order mitigate or order remediate those vulnerabilities before they you know, mature into compromises and breaches. Yeah, it really is an, an interesting turn of events, right? You know, because the infrastructure becomes really much more important to the overall securing of the enterprise as opposed to the accoutrements and the complementary technologies that we would we have all worked with and, and and worked on developing in the past, right? So it almost reminds me of what Cisco Systems was trying to do, I guess it was probably about 15, 16 years ago now. What was it? This, do you remember the self-defending network initiative that they had tried to conceptualize wherein the network itself could heal itself and, and could be cognizant of the threats and subsequently initiate remediation action all without intervention from the human being, right? I think they were a little too early. <laughs> what was the thing they had? Uh, the, the security fog, right? Well, they weren't quite sure whether they were edge or in the cloud. Yeah. And I think I think the cloud, to me, I think it's very exciting, you know? you know, and I know that there were a lot of guys that you and I both know, like guys like Chris Hoff, who were talking about cloud security. I think probably, gosh, he may have been 10, as long ago as 10 years ago. I mean, I think he may have been one of the first guys who I really spoke to and heard talk about the potential for that at length with some degree of clarity before most people in the industry. I don't know if, if he was still at Crossbeam or if that was after he had left Crossbeam, but you know, it seems like now is the right time for that. And it seems as though access to the to cloud-based infrastructures and ecosystems such as Azure right now is 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 tenable and achievable for everyone. Right. So do you think that because of the accessibility today and certainly because of the vast array of options that that organizations like Microsoft offer within their cloud ecosystems, that there's going to be a greater and greater shift toward cloud-driven infrastructures as opposed to maintaining things in-house? And what do, what do you think about those trends? Are you starting to see those more now that you're in, inside Microsoft or or is it still something that's we're waiting to see the crest of the wave, so to speak? Absolutely. There is you know, a huge change in the way that, you know, especially enterprises seeing the cloud and now using the cloud. I, I think that's you know, to, to your point, the clouds in its many forms, you know, for the last ten years has has changed. But I would say that you know, probably the last three years, the cloud has fundamentally changed in the way that uh, organizations see and view. I think what we're we're at this this new transition phase where the previous you know ten years of cloud have been tinkering. You know, where even large enterprises have looked at the cloud uh, and, you know, had an idea for uh, some new products or some new experiments and they're tested on the clouds. You know, the, you know, uses the learning experience and, you know, develop the teams and the operational, you know, the muscle knowledge for, for managing cloud and cloud security. What we're now at is this transition period. And this is what's happening is that those organizations are comfortable. They've made the decisions that uh, it is economical, it's more secure. They have built that muscle knowledge with inside their organizations. They have a, a five-year plan for how they want to move their business forward. And so the types of discussions that I'm being pulled into now, so you know, Microsoft and like many large organizations, we do the executive briefing center type, you know, wine and dine and you know, run through different products and that. And what I'm seeing really are some of the, you know, the largest businesses in the world just now really coming back and saying, you know, we already have five or six, you know, new business streams, you know, we do, you know, tens of millions of dollars of, you know, interesting products and standalone businesses in the cloud. But you know what? Now we need to talk about how do I shift that $200 million investment that I've made over the last 20 years of my, my core systems that actually run my business, my core business. And let's talk about how I move that into the clouds. 
And so that's what's happening now. You know, so big discussions and, and big decisions, right? Moving the very guts of your business finally into into the clouds because the confidence levels there, you know, the trust is there, and also the expertise has has grown that they they feel they can sort of you know the platforms are stable, but also their internal resources have reached the, the maturity that they can actually transition. So I think that changes the game you know, fundamentally for, for these organizations as they make that, you know, those really big investments. But more importantly, you know, when you do make that shift to the very guts of your, your business, I think we're also looking at a new transition for you know, the, the IT uh, market and, and security markets. You know, the, many of those uh, skills that used to be about, you know, uh, the network admin that would go around checking network links uh, and laying down, laying nice fiber cable and getting it all tidy uh, through to the um, security team that would do a lot of uh, patch release management and, you know, basically running vulnerability scanners and false negative and, you know, true positive and correlation on these. Those roles are gone. Right, uh, and those skills need a transition, but also those organisations uh, that are making these bigger transitions, you know, of their their large enterprise, are also relooking at their investments at IT overall. And many of the discussions that are you know party to today are these organisations saying that you know they can now focus on or plan to focus on being the best of you know their particular business, their, their particular vertical, as opposed to also having to be the the world's best security team or the world's best IT team. And so there's a you know, culture shift, a mentality shift, and also you know, a, a change of skills that's underway. I think that's very interesting, right? To see the cultural shift, right? Moving from, especially within networking and internetworking and, and security operations teams, right? Moving from a mindset where you have very much a castle defense and everything within the perimeter, whatever that was, is absolutely under scrutiny and watch 24-7. And we, and we, it has to make, be maintained within either our own four walls or within a trusted third party, like a, a hosting environment, right? Which is more of an extension than anything else of, the, of that primary organization. But the move to the cloud, right? And the, the significant moves toward not just singular applications, right? But whole elements of infrastructures, if not entire infrastructures, including security, is really monumental, right? And I, it's, it's been interesting to watch that transition throughout business over the last decade where people become more and more prepared and I guess in accommodating and willing to make that change. Where do you think in the process of transitioning, Gunter, where do you think for the CISOs who are out there and are looking at their programs and looking at what they're what they're tasked with doing today, whether it's 24 by 7 monitoring, you mentioned forensics and, and monitoring earlier, which I, it's something that's kind of always been near and dear to my heart, right, is uh, the, the ability to look at either whether metadata or full packet captures and then take that information and collate that with salient host data to make sense of events that are occurring on, on, in the environment. Where do you think a CISO should be making his or her first moves outside of the givens, things like firewalls and, and gateways and things of that nature? Where do you think that they should be doubling down uh, right off the cusp with respect to the move to the cloud and from a security perspective? Well, I, I think they need to gain familiarity with the platforms they're going to be using, right? Uh, just as I said, there's the commoditization of all the security. You know, there are, you name the security feature, function, capability, it's there, right? And it's tappable. And more often than not, it's running by default. And, you know, so getting familiar with what those tools and technologies are is an important part. But I, I think, you know, the... Perhaps the, the way that, that I'm looking at it and, uh, and as we develop the, the next generation of, of security tooling in the cloud, really is that from a CISO perspective, it all becomes you know, distilled down to policy management and auto enforcement. So what we're effectively 
seeing you know, and you know sort of guiding on is this have that you know, staple set of policies uh, for example that maybe is something you know, you know, traditional as you know no service is allowed to be internet accessible if it doesn't have a firewall and doesn't have multi-factor authentication yeah really simple concepts you know not groundbreaking or whatever what's different though is that under the clouds those can be monitored in real time automatically right it's impossible for someone to spin up a new service without it you know being registered and being able to to be visible and to be controllable by those policies and you know, having to find a, even a simple policy like that, it also allows you to automatically apply the remediation or the steps there. So, for example, you know, with a policy like that, it may be that um, by default the policy is that uh, if someone does spin up the, the service, it automatically gets shut down or locked out. And they're prompted, you know, whoever started or tried to start up that service, they're, they're prompted with, you know, the, the policy says that you have to install the uh, install the firewall. And so therefore, you know, click this button and the firewall will be automatically installed and auto-configured for you, right? And I think that's really the the key changes for, for CISOs in that the security technologies there, they'll run under the covers, but managing all the security through policy where all of the automation happens behind the scenes. And I think that that greatly simplifies the, the tasks and the role of the CISO. They have that visibility. But also, you know, again, they can start focusing on, you know, applying that security policy to their, their business policy and their, their, how they want to run the business sort of going forward. So that aspect, I think, has been from CISOs that have you know, have migrated to the cloud and are using things such as the, the Azure Security Center. These are the things that they like. They also want to, to double down on. You know, they want to get uh, more policies, more auto enforcement, and more, you know, again, that holistic view, that, that single pane of glass to be able to, to manage and view how their security part of their business is running. Okay, that makes sense. So really, right, you know, the single pane of glass and having what salespeople I think used to refer to as a single throat choke is kind of driving a lot of a lot of decisions as our operational considerations, right? And then of course the transference of risk. Can you talk for a minute about what that looks like, Pinter, you know, from from Microsoft's perspective as it relates to people looking to make this move? Do you see that transference of risk being important in the decision making in a way that was that's maybe com- com- comparable to the way it was in the old days with MSSPs and perhaps maybe even the way it is now with MDRs, for example. Yeah, I guess the transfer and risk, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do in the cloud, right? Today, for many organizations, the first step to the cloud is still to treat the cloud a bit like a hosting provider, right? And so uh, a lot of IaaS, infrastructure as a service type environments, replicating the, you know, the more traditional uh, network architectures and, you know, focusing on VMs of their, their workloads and sort of managing through that. What we've found is that you know, many organizations will, will pass through that phase within you know, 12 to 18 months before they move more on to heavily SaaS operations. Uh, and then within about three years, you know, two to three years uh, of, of starting that, then they move more on to, on to sort of functions and serverless type architectures. The reason why I sort of bring that up from a security perspective is that as you move from IaaS to PaaS to SaaS to serverless, the security responsibility, weighting of responsibility changes considerably. If you're running an, an IaaS environment, then you know that's sort of under Azure. Then you know, Microsoft, you know, responsible for all the hardware and the networking pieces that are below that. But the operating system and above, you know, and everything you do with it uh, is still the customer's responsibility from the security. 
By the time you get to serverless, you know, frankly, the customer's responsibility lies in the code that they are executing. Everything else below the seams is, you know, is automatically handled. And that means that you know, the responsibility also changes for not just you know, maintaining that, that architecture and you know, the security and the integrity of those, those systems, the database systems, the hardware and things, but also means that Microsoft in those instances is responsible for all the compliance, you know, all those certifications from around the world. Also responsible for, if you look at something as simple as you know, PCI, Microsoft has to do all the penetration testing and the red teaming and the certification that goes behind that. And so I think from a CISO perspective, as they sort of, you know, as their organization migrates from that, that first dip into cloud into you know, serverless type architectures, their attack profile changes, you know, and the surface area condenses, you know, they have a much smaller surface area, but also those hidden costs of security, you know, those, those regular compliance remissions and things are now taken up by Microsoft or, you know, or the cloud provider. And so there's, you know, huge cost savings, but also like we started to touch on, you know, that the teams that, you know, the traditional security teams start changing as well from the customer's perspective, you know, that threat hunting team, the red team that you may have been building up over the last couple of years, suddenly those responsibilities have, have changed and shifted across to the, to the cloud provider. Do you think movements that we're starting to see actually, you know, such as GDPR, for example, this month will drive a more heavy adoption of cloud, cloud-based security infrastructure? Uh, do you think that's going to be a propellant for that, or do you see that as being some? Do you see that as being? Immaterial? I think it's hovering in between. So, one of the strategies that Microsoft has internally is this thing called first party equals third party. What that means is that, in many ways, my largest customer and my most demanding customer is Microsoft. Uh, and so MSIT, you know, everything they have to do for you know, an organization of Microsoft size you know, and, and age, you know, to move Microsoft uh, across to the cloud uh, and everything that goes with it as a, as a high bar and there's a lot of things that has to happen. Uh, and so as we you know, migrate you know, an advanced enterprise across the clouds and solve each of these individual problems, what we've done is you know, solving for the first party is that once we have solved it and MSIT basically gets a thumbs up and we've solved it for them, then these things then become uh, available to all third parties, and so everyone that's using the platform. That's important for things like GDPR. You know, so Microsoft, you know, being that multinational company, with, you know, fell firmly in the in the in the pool of having to get GDPR right, you know, and also being highly under the microscope of every country, you know, for you know for who it is. And so, in our quest to have to solve that for for Microsoft and MSIT. All of that functionality, all of those, all those tools, all of the logging, all of the uh, the visibility that's required, and the control features that are required to meet GDPR, had to be solved for Microsoft first, and uh, now built into the platform for for everyone, for everyone to use. So over the last you know, six months in particular, you know, it's been you know a lot of work for for Microsoft to develop these tools and technology, but also working with customers and partners along that way as they use you know let's say um, you know, SQL Service uh, SQL uh, as a service or you know Office three sixty five uh, and all these other elements, they now have all the GDPR pieces just built in. And so you know to your point for you know, for the CISOs and whether you know, GDPR is the driving factor for the cloud, I. I I think uh, it hasn't been a driving point for, for many of the organizations of the last year. It's sort of been assumed that uh, it would already be there and just another service. But I, I think for um, the M of SMB organizations over the next year, as they 
learn more about their GDPR requirements, then I think that will drive more of more business towards the cloud as they you know, adopt the same tools and features that you know, the large enterprise are already using to manage GDPR. And that, I think that will be you know, another factor that will be you know, made in, you know, included in the decision to move to the cloud and, and you know, what level of uh, interaction they have with the cloud going forward. So we talked a little bit about uh, the rationale for moving toward and adopting the cloud. We talked about, obviously, some of the compelling reasons that a CISO would look to do that, you know, alongside of those that are, that are attributable to a business uh, goal. And we certainly talked about the benefits, right, of a single pane of glass and, and that constant uh, monitoring and the, and the almost instantaneous remediation that you described, Gunter. Can you talk about some of the potential areas of, of threat that, that CISOs need to be concerned of within this within the, the transition period, right? So I imagine you can't just cut over an entire enterprise from being an enterprise slash hosted type of uh, ecosystem to a cloud ecosystem overnight. What does the concerned CISO need to be considerate of when making that transition from an operations perspective and point of view, but also from a logistics? And then I think most importantly, within, the, within that conversation, uh, keeping an eye and a pace on what's occurring within the threat landscape that might be uh, an area that, that could allow for exploitation to occur during that that uh, that period of time between full migration. I think there are a couple of things to sort of bear in mind, and I think that as the CISO you know has oversight of the organization as they transition to the the cloud, I think one part is their you know if you like the the legacy software where you know there aren't alternatives uh, or cloud versions of their you know, of a particular vendor's product in particular. You know, so you know they're, they're dependent on a couple of vendors that uh, have not created the you know the microservices or have not. Uh, uh, Built, you know, cloud-based services, and so effectively they're taking their existing environments, uh, converting into a, a virtual machine, and they're sort of spinning up the virtual machine. They have taken all their the problems that they had before, and you know now you know reapplied them to the cloud. There are sorts of benefits, obviously, that the IDS, the, the, the anomaly detections, all of the other, you know, uh, behavioral analytics uh, and everything like that, that they may not have had before are now just built into the cloud platform. And so they, they benefit from those pieces there. But uh, the, the gaps are still, in many ways, the, you know, the biggest weakness for organizations as they move to the clouds are effectively the code they bring with them. And I think that will be the case still in the future, yeah, even as organizations migrate to, to serverless architectures, you know, their, their exposure will be their own custom code. There are, you know, your sort of new toolings that are now sort of appearing and as, as those CISOs get closer to maybe the, the DevOps teams or, you know, are, are able to help their organization develop a, a DevOps with a, with a strong security bent to that organization, then I think there are, there are more steps they can sort of include uh, as they, they help that organization to, to migrate to the cloud, but also to the, the higher levels and efficiencies of SaaS offerings or serverless. I think that's sort of the, the, the biggest piece of the, the guidance for, for those CISOs really have that help work with the teams to, to migrate as quickly as possible in their, their code. But uh, yeah, what we have seen, though, is that you know, many of the security technologies, especially at the network level, because they're just built into the clouds, have been you know, frictionless for the organizations. Yeah, definitely. This may be a, a sharp turn here, but I think you can still bring it back to the cloud. Uh, and it'll also give you a chance to get on your uh, proverbial uh, soapbox, if you will. But I missed RSA this year. Didn't get a chance to go. But since I 
a journalist and I do write about, you know, these kind of things. I've been getting a deluge of security scorecard emails. You know, every couple of months, there's a new finding out or a new survey. And it's, you know, beginning to be a little bit of a noise on my end. And I was curious if you had a stance, if you had any thoughts on this. I know you published a blog a few weeks ago. Are they worth it? Is it just a bunch of hype? What's going <laughs> There's on certainly uh, a lot of investment, a lot of startups uh, in that space. I work with the, the Microsoft Capital team and the Microsoft Ventures team. So there are every week or so, here's a, here's a new company that they're sort of like, uh, can you have a quick look at this, Gunter, and see whether or not we should do anything with them? But on the security score, yeah, this, the whole scorecard uh, arena, I'm a bit of a skeptic in many ways. I think that you know we've had a, a long time of this you know green light, red lights, amber lights type framework, and no one's ever figured out how to really make it work. And you know we have the discussions internally for Microsoft as well because you know the number of different products that have uh, have the ability to uh, add a score, especially as you add more artificial intelligence and behavioral analytics and that, because the math is driving these discoveries and uh, decision processes. It, it's trivial to create yet another score. Uh, <laughs> that the part that's missing and where I'm sort of skeptical about these things is. Everyone has their own algorithm for creating a score. Everyone has their own input variables and measurement tools for arriving at a score. And, you know, as people are learning and developing their scores, the score, whatever score I have today and versus the score that I have next month is probably going to be different. And I may or may not have made any changes. I may or may not have been affected by anything. And so it becomes largely meaningless you know there, there is a there is a request to be able to have that you know that single pane of glass so you know how do i is there a metric that i can view my entire organization as a number and you know based on what the number or whatever is going up or down know whether i'm doing better or worse yeah again you know, 30 years doing this type of stuff i've never seen it really work i think that uh Despite all of the different you know, scoring schemes and you know, tools and technology, the part that's missing is, you know, at what level of score do I take an action and what type of action? You know, if it's a 75 versus a 76, is a 75 something I should care about and 76 is something that I should pull in, you know, overtime workers and work out a band to try to solve something? No one knows. Right. Uh, and what I'm really looking at uh, as a driving from a Microsoft perspective is that while you know, everyone can create those sort of scores, I'm f- much more focused on let's look at the the actions and you know instead of presenting a magic number that's going up or down by x number of decimal places or whatever, what should be the tangible effect for that? You know, uh, can I prioritize the actions that an organization or a team should be doing, and also can I can I wait? The actions that they have taken recently, being able to show whether that is having a material effect, you know, or material positive effect on their on their security. So I think that is it's a really hard problem, and you know it's still a number of ways to try to fix that. But I do worry, especially for many of these um, third party scorecard type organizations that are effectively you know, selling their service, saying, you know, you are a, a large organization, you have a, a partner ecosystem. And, you know, we're going to evaluate the provided scores of all your partners. And, you know, based on their score, you can choose on whether or not they're allowed to access your systems or whether you want to do business with them. 
when I look at how those those companies operate and you know how they pull their scores, you know they're pulling, you know, tapping into the dark web and looking at past breaches. They're doing vulnerability scans, they're doing port scans, they're doing you know other you know, passive information gathering. You know, every time that competitive market, they add a new feature. So you know they may not have done you know a certain type of dark web scan before, but they're now doing a, a new type of dark web, and so they adjust the scores, for example. And so no customer of those type of services really knows where exactly you know again what's the pain point for customers uh, on their scoring point you know is a partner sitting at 70 more secure than someone is sitting at 68 because the score changed uh, this week because a new vulnerability came out but they already patched so it's not a nice area to to be in and there's a lot of the a lot of skeptics on there but you know again because that the, the meta problem of how do i know that i'm getting better or worse you know and uh, how do I track whether the actions I've taken have been successful overall or not? Because we, you know, as an industry, haven't you know haven't solved that piece. You know, we're sort of defaulting to scorecard approaches, which haven't really actually solved anything, and have probably created more more noise than ever, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel the same way about security scorecards. I oftentimes think that they're they don't really mean much, right? Because to your point, there's no standardized metric that's that's looked at as being universal, right? Or model. You know, I recently had a conversation with someone about a threat score in a system. And I said, hey, what's what model is that based off? And they like they're like, and they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, ordinarily when someone <laughs> when someone creates a, a gradient scale uh, wherein threat is indicated in degree, you know, by virtue of n- a numeric representation or severity or color, there's a model. <laughs> behind Which model was it was uh, was in use? I was going to say that you know, there's another aspect to this. So if I put the you know, the cloud hat on, there are especially when using artificial intelligence, you know, many of those things that you could passively observe or even interact with in the past, you know, through a vulnerability scan or a port scan and be able to enumerate those services, doesn't actually mean an awful lot from where cloud security is evolving. Right? Just because a port is open uh, and it, it presents a banner, uh, and then someone does a banner check and compares that to you know the current patching. Doesn't actually, you know, isn't a one-for-one translation of a vulnerability. But, but more importantly, things like let's take um, behavioral analytics for logins, right? And so one of the things that when we look at adaptive security from from the cloud's perspective is that you know, regardless of a particular vulnerability, there are lots of different uh, layers of defense that kick into automatically, you know, kick in automatically based on you know the behaviors that are actually happening inside those systems. And so, you know, at no point, especially on the cloud, at no point is there, you know, any one vulnerability or even a chain of vulnerabilities capable of, you know, breaching layers or, you know, or being successful in the, across an enterprise. And so those types of technologies, particularly the, the behavioral and, uh, you know, the adaptive systems are never going to be measured externally or, you know, passively through these types of systems. And it becomes a little bit meaningless and in many ways, you know, if you take the vast majority of companies that an organization has moved to, say, the Azure cloud, if you were to run all of those scorecard uh, type tools and things like that, they all seem to have about the same sort of score now. And so it becomes a little bit meaningless. And perhaps it may more become a question of, you know, the meta question is, are you in the cloud? Therefore, you are at this heightened level of security or you are not. <laughs> and if you are not, then you know your decision as a, being a, a partner and in integration on systems may that may be the the action item that you want to uh, distill on your customers. I'm uh, sorry, distill onto your your business partners. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's really, what it boils down to right, is, is having the best technological sense of what's occurring within your environment. Right, being able to gauge that, instrument that, and provide the most meaningful data 
you know, in the shortest amount of period of time so that decisions can be made, right? And then, of course, marrying that and aligning that with, with, with business intelligence. Hey, Chris, do you have any other questions for Gunter? Sort of, yeah. I don't want to push it, though. I know we're getting near the end of our a lot of time because uh, we got a late start. But I, I know earlier you said that you some of your challenges were dealing with password maintenance uh, and crypto mining, I believe it was. Uh, but I was curious, how much is malware still on your radar? I mean, obviously, it never goes away. But is it still sort of consuming a lot of your time seeing uh, new variants and dealing with them? Or Oh, well... Or- from the malware perspective, you see a lot. So if you take something like uh, Office 365, right? So of those uh, you know, near a billion customers, you know, the uh, and all their emails and their attachments that they need that uh, that come their way, you know. So there's there's no shortage of malware. <laughs> That's for sure. That sort of you know, you know is trying to to enter a business in that. So at that point, I think many of many of the tools and technologies again that's sort of hidden behind the scenes, being able to automatically identify these files and files attachments, and you know stop them from causing causing harm is is probably one of the the key pieces there. From a password perspective, yeah, there there are some big changes that are that are happening. So if you're familiar with you know, Windows 10, you start to see the you know, Windows Hello and so all the biometrics and all the other elements that you know, effectively nowadays you can get away with never having a password. And I think that will, as those sort of systems become more popular and also more business partners you know, also use the same tool sets and use the same capabilities. So there's an approach then. I would love to be in a position that you know, in, you know, in a few years' time that uh, endpoint in particular, you can walk up to any in- endpoints and you know it will recognize who you are and assuming that you know, the owner of the device has allowed you know other people to to use the device you get authenticated automatically you you have your entire desktop and access to all your data and all your tools there in one place and then when you walk away from the machine you know all that data is gone you know uh, it's, it's no longer present on the uh, on the endpoint and you know we changed the sort of uh, you know fundamentally change the, the dynamics of the, the way that we authenticate and the way that these sort of systems operate. But I think the, the other big, the big change, you know, and uh, this is where uh, you know, we're still tinkering around the edges from a from Microsoft perspective in, in Azure, and that is uh, moving to uh, signed codes and only allowing signed code execution. So it's certainly from a from Microsoft perspective, as you know, I think as DevOps mature for for many organizations, and they you know, transition to some of the higher level services, uh, security services inside you know the Azure and the cloud platforms. What we'll see is greater adoption and you know ideally ubiquitous use of uh, signed code only. Once we get up to that particular state, then you know I'd be happy to sort of say that you know three nines or four nines uh, percent of uh, the malware industry suddenly becomes irrelevant, right? And that'll be a very nice place to be. There's still a lot of technology hurdles, but uh, I think the, the cloud is the, the first place that uh, will we'll be bringing those those technologies to the mass. And I think that's where we'll, we'll see for many organizations that, you know, Big change in the game of how their the enterprises are running it and how they're and frankly how the the phishing the malware uh, the class of threats suddenly becomes much less relevant to, than today. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's the that's the panacea, right? <laughs> I don't think we're that far away. So certainly from a Microsoft perspective internally, you know, we're we're largely doing that. 
you know, we're also finding it breaks a lot of things, right? <laughs> and so, you know, solving for first party. And once we're solving first party, we'll make it available for third party. But I would say that in the next nine to 18 months, then I think we should be seeing those types of services, uh, you know, actually in use and making a, a measurable distance, difference to enterprises. And, you know, frankly, you know, easing a CISO's life up a little bit. Yeah. So that puts us right about at the top of our time. Gunder, do you have any closing comments or bits of advice that you'd like to share with uh, the listening audience before we wrap things up? Sure. And I think, the, the like I said, I, I've always been on the, the cutting edge or trying to be on the cutting edge of security. And I think, you know, today, you know, the mix of clouds and AI in particular in the security realm is, is where, where the edge is. And so, the, you know, the advancements are phenomenal and uh, it's great time there. I get asked a little bit. You know, by people about you know, so what happens to the, those roles and that, or a, you know, career advice. So my my number one career advice for for many people at the moment, especially if you're a bit of an old hand in security, the number one role you know today that's paying well and is going to be in demand for the next decade, while other roles may be sort of you know disappearing, is to become a cloud security architect. Nice cloud security advocate. Well, there you have it, Chris. Do you want to go ahead and take us All away? Right. This has been episode 23. It's great having you, Gunter. Well, thank you again, as always, for helping lead the discussion. Thanks, guys. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for coming on board, Gunter. We really appreciate it. 